0: Hello Greyhounds, welcome to Ted Lasso is Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Duong. And despite her jumping ship from the Ted Becker ship, Chrisanne Morgan still joins me as co-host
1: hi hello all you greyhounds i think i'm gonna have to do a lot of making it up to kevin for even suggesting that i was okay without having a ted becca endgame situation but i'm here and i'm still alive
0: well today we have a special bonus episode for you we've said many times how thankful we are for all of you who listen to our podcast and we're very grateful to those of you who have left five star ratings and reviews And since many of you have said how much you love our awards segment, I thought the best way to show our appreciation to all of you was for us to give out awards for the entirety of Season 3. So usually, we just try to give out one award per category per week. Because we're giving out awards for the entire season, there will be more people in consideration. Hopefully you enjoy listening to it. First award, the MVP of Season 3.
1: MVP! MVP! Alright, Kevin. So... My third MVP candidate is Phoebe. And the reason why is because she was so wise. She was little Grogu to Bayes Yoda. And she has questions for her Uncle Roy about why he broke up with Keely. Asks him whether he's making a mistake. And then she tells him that she thinks he's being stupid. And I so agree, Phoebe. And being the only other character on the show that I know that fought against the breaking up of Ryan Keely. That is why she gets my vote for a candidate for MVP because I'm still salty they took my Ryan Keely away. And at least I know she's got my back.
0: Ted was my third place in my MVP voting. So he was able to recognize that he wasn't in a good place, but despite that, finally mastered the tools to stop an anxiety slash panic attack on his own for the first time. Still able to rouse the troops with another classic speech. Raised a son that says sorry via an apology rap and realized that his son has become his new purpose.
1: That's perfect, Kevin. Ted really did a lot of growth this season. I think all of your reasons are chef's kiss. Love it. My number two candidate for MVP is Rebecca. Gosh, darn Welton. Through this season, we see our super buttoned up, hyper fixated Rebecca, who was completely obsessed with beating Rupert to the point where she has kind of a breakdown and enthusiastically berates Ted to go out and have some fun.
0: But also harshly yelled at him and asked, when
1: are we going to win a fucking match? Also true. Also true. Well, then she kind of, she flips ass over tea kettle into the drink and then she loosens up and she lets go of all of that obsession and that tension to finally become this really balanced and relaxed powerhouse that was able to rise above it all. And she doesn't feel bad about Rupert. And I just, from Hannah Waddingham's acting throughout everything to, I mean, just the nuance and the the heartbreaking subtlety and so much of her performance. And then just being the boss ass bitch that we love also mama to the team and to the fans. I just, she's so great. So wonderful. She's my number two.
0: Rebecca Welton was also my number two choice, and so I agree with everything you said. And a couple of things I'll add is she stopped the formation of a potentially devastating Super League and also saved KJPR.
1: Right. I didn't even throw that in there. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. She was just all around clutch for everybody. I feel like Richmond cracked the code, and it's all thanks to one Mr. Jamie Tart and his willingness to not be the center of attention all the time. Like sacrificing his ego that he wouldn't have been able to do in seasons one and two, but did so well this season, even though he's you know still got progress to make, just made everything that the team accomplished this year gel. I mean, he's still got all of the wonderful, arrogant things that make him so lethal to people who aren't on his team. But I mean, from his style to his sense of humor to his cartwheels, Jamie is everything a brilliant player, a supportive guy, buying Roy a beautiful jersey and changing the name to Roy Kent with a U. <laughs> I won't say that out loud. Stealing scenes, being the conductor to the team's. Proverbial orchestra, it's inspirational, and he is just so amazing. And Phil Dunster is a brilliant actor, and he portrayed everything so wonderfully. The vulnerability and the cockiness and the confusion and the compassion. I can't say enough positive things about him.
0: In that case, I'll say some more. He was the only one who saw Zava for who he was, had the best tribute to Sam missing out on the Nigerian national team with the Jersey tribute absolutely murdered man city for richmond's first win against them ever and of course jamie was also magnificent against west ham to almost help richmond win the whole fucking thing now on the other side of the spectrum the wankers of the season let's see what we got here wanker
1: my number three is rupert 2.0 jack first for defacing a signed first edition book if if we believe that that was actually a first edition jane austen for general love bombing for showing her true colors and not supporting keely with the whole sex tape being leaked jack is a uh, jack is my number 3 wanker
0: she just missed out on my top 3 but the other character that we didn't like from keely's storyline shandy was my number three because for shandy at least she had a history a friendly history with keely so you thought she would have shown a bit more class a bit more gratefulness but she was the exact opposite of that
1: my next wanker my number two wanker is nate i mean The way that he trained the West Ham team with all of his aggressive tactics and using the dum-dum line and then all of the ways that he insulted Ted and put Ted down and was just generally very wankery until he really got into the swing of, of his redemption arc. He did a great job being a wanker. It's good that they made him assistant to the kit man because he really needs to eat a little crow before he comes back to his glory days.
0: Well, in the final montage, he's wearing the same attire as both Beard and Roy. So presumably he was reinstated back as assistant manager.
1: Yes. And again, in one of those moments where we don't get to see him making, you know, groveling or, or making all of his amends. Again, I would really like to see that office kind of mockumentary showing us all of the things that we missed, especially Nate eating some
0: crow. So my number two wanker was the one who threatened to take number twos in Sam's childhood home. The one, the only, Edwin Akufu. So as mentioned, still super shitty to Sam, ruined his reservations at his restaurant, and on a bigger level, tried to take football away from the working class with his proposed Super League.
1: Yeah, I think that's way wankery than Nate. You're quite right, but I'm glad we're covering our bases because I wasn't thinking all that clearly. I was really kind of stunned. When I was going back to review the season to see how wankery people were. And I think Edwin Akufu is definitely solid. So I agree with everything. So I think that we're probably unanimous in calling Rupert the satanic sleazeball himself the wanker of the entire season. Am I right?
0: To quote Keely Jones, and in a phrase I thought would catch on a bit more, absolutely.
1: Which is something she might have picked up from Sex in the City, just saying, because that was a Sex in the City term. So I'm with you there. I love that. And I also would like to quote Sassy in saying that he is the absolute worst.
0: He made George look like a good guy. I mean, <laughs> it takes a lot to do that.
1: Yeah, he actually took George from my twat list to my MVP list in one episode for sure. He was so amazing, though. I mean, Anthony Head is such a brilliant villain. He played it so well. And he is apparently the nicest guy ever when you work with him in real life. He just really brilliantly made Rupert all of the delicious, awful things that we loved to hate so much.
0: Well, like in that, the consolation gift package that the Paley Center sent us because they canceled the season three finale event. I don't have the book on me, but it's like all about Ted Lasso. And there's a lot of behind the scenes pictures. And one of them's with Hannah and Anthony, all smiles.
1: He's such a lovely guy. And he was so beloved on Buffy. And he's such a great, 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 great actor. He also did the Rocky Horror Picture Show, too. He, he played Frank Furter, Frankenfurter.
0: Our next award celebrates... Proficiency in profanity, excellence in expletives, virtuosity in vulgarities. It's the Roy Kent Cussing Award. Fun. That's fun, in it?
1: My number five is May telling the pub lads to fuck off because Annette Badland said it in only the way that May can say that, and it was very satisfying to listen to May say "fuck off." Because coming from May, it just hits different, right? It's like more intense. If May told me to fuck off ever in my life, I think I would dissolve into a puddle. I don't think I could recover from that.
0: In a surprising twist, Roy lands number five on my list and it's the only time he's on it. And all the other ones are actually from different people. So gotta love the diversity of profanity here. So then my number five is Roy when he says, what's that fucking face? when Jamie tries to show empathy with whatever he was doing with that fucking face.
1: Roy is my number four when he says in episode 304, fuck Nate, fuck thinking, and fuck Socrates.
0: My number four is the flight attendant in the finale when she walks away from Ted and mumbles under her breath, what a fucking arsehole, because she thought that Beard was in actual pain and that his friend did not give enough of a fuck to go off the plane and to the hospital with him. And it was also a rule of three since in season one, Rebecca said it to Higgins when he asked how Ted responded when she came clean to him. And then this season, Roy also said it when Ted refused to get angry at him and Beard for showing the belief sign being torn up at halftime.
1: My number three is Rebecca taking a page out of Trent Crim's book and asking, is this a fucking joke? Brilliant. I love that callback too.
0: My number three is when the team is trying to figure out why Isaac got mad at the heckler. And Sam says, he said the F word. And Jamie responds quizzically, fuck. And Sam says, no, the other F word. And then Jamie has that classic realization thing that he does on his face. And he's like, oh, fuck.
1: My number two comes from somebody that we don't really hear cussing on the show. And it was Mr. Danny Rojas bringing me mucho, mucho, mucho joy when he said, woo! And then, fuck off, Trent Krim, in episode 302.
0: And now looking back at it, kind of foreshadowing Rani Dojas. My number two swear, incidentally, also involves number two. Because it's when Ted says... I don't want to mess around with that shit anymore. You know Ted doesn't swear much, so when he does, he means it.
1: Well, my number one is light on the cusp but heavy on the naughty, and I'm telling you that I laughed my buns off when I heard this, but also my cheeks got red. It was when...
0: You're about to steal my word again.
1: Great minds think alike, when Higgins said, even with Zava, Richmond, eat more ass than your mom.
0: Okay, that was actually nowhere near where I was going.
1: Oh, good. Okay. Higgins, he has those brilliant moments of hilarity. So I didn't steal your line.
0: So my number one cuss, although it's not from Roy, it was for Roy. When Jamie gives him the infamous changed letter jersey, I just thought that was brilliant. Also funny when people respond to my post on Instagram about it, totally confused, and I... Just wait for other people to explain it.
1: What does he mean? What does he mean? <laughs> Although in England, it's not it's not as pearl-clutchy as it is for us Americans. Not that you're an American. I know you're a Canadian. Lucky ducky.
0: So you knew I had to throw in some new awards if I could. So this one is called Zeppelin is Amazing, which is referenced to Phoebe listening to it at the first time in season one at Keeley's Place. So for this, we'll be talking about our favorite musical moments of season three.
1: My number five candidate was in the episode 307, which was a super musical musical episode. They used so much, but they opened the the episode with Dreams by the Cranberries and they, they did it making it look just like the beginning of You've Got Mail. And I thought that was such a beautiful layered choice for a song in the episode.
0: My number five musical moment is in three ten international break when Rebecca is explaining why the Super League is horrible for football fans. We have Nick Muhammad on the violin, his wife on piano. It's just beautiful backdrop to that amazing speech. Even Edwin admitted it was an amazing speech.
1: My number four is the song Three Little Birds" from episode three oh six. Sunflowers. First, it's a joke, and then it is in the set decoration in the dutchman's houseboat and then they all sing it in the end and it's such a beautiful moment when they all sing three little birds at the end of the episode so i thought that was that was really beautiful and i loved that they used the song in so many different ways brilliant minds those ted lasso kids
0: my number four musical moment was when the greyhounds sang and danced to so long farewell in the finale i thought it was just really fitting they said goodbye with the musical since of course Ted and all Diamond Dogs love their musicals.
1: I love all of the musical theater references. My number three was the song Toot, Do, Toot, Do Small, which is a French song that's playing over season three, episode eight, when he's saying goodbye to Henry and Michelle. The song itself is just a really lovely song the words if you translate the words from french to english are very fitting for that moment for ted and i thought it was just lovely i talk about this in one of our episodes too we'll never have paris i thought that was just so neat i love the layers of what the songs mean layered over the action of a scene
0: i wish i could say i planned this out to have like number two talking about shit and then number three talking about truth bomb three but it just it just happened but yeah my number three musical moment was when they used sam Rider's fought and lost for truth bomb number three when i saw rebecca down in the office i knew something was up and it was that time of year but then when they actually had the lyrics same time same place next year i was like oh my god but of course they went and kind of ruined that by not showing us the actual truth bomb but if you like that song sam has done Pretty much any version you can. He did one in the locker room, he did one in the stadium, and he also did one with Hannah herself at the Grammy Museum for a Emmy for Your Consideration event.
1: Beautiful. He's such a really gifted musician and singer. I really love all of this stuff. My number two is from episode three oh five, signs. And it's during the devastating call that Rebecca takes from her doctor and her expression. It's just beautiful and heartbreaking. And they chose to use the song Quiet by Rachel Yamagata. It's just such a choice. And it just really makes it all hit home so much harder.
0: My number two musical moment was when they sang Hey Jude Outside the Crown and Anchor, because Ted was going through a lot that episode. And that just brought back all the joy for him seeing his son so happy to singing the Beatles, who of course, loves the Beatles because Ted loves the Beatles and Beard was there and even May and the Pub Labs were in the background singing too. So great all around.
1: Really great. I wonder if Ted ever did break the news to Henry that John and George are dead. Do you think he did?
0: I wonder who broke the news to uh, Jamie.
1: (laughs) My number one musical moment on the show was In Sunflowers, episode 6. It's when Higgins gets up to play the song Let's Get Lost by Chet Baker. It's so rare that jazz isn't just a punchline. It's nice to see it celebrated. It was such a joyful scene. We got to see what everybody was doing at the time. It's such a great song. We see Rebecca and Dutch Lasso dancing to it. We see Jamie and Roy on their bikes. And we see Higgins doing his thing. And all these things are going on to a montage uh, with that song in the background. And I thought it was so beautiful. It was such a joy-filled moment for me.
0: And now I'm mad at myself that I totally forgot about that, even though it's fucking pinned on my Instagram page.
1: (laughs) I love it too, because the, the song, the title, Let's Get Lost, everybody during that episode just went out and got kind of lost and went away from one another. And they all came back at the end, which was so metaphorically beautiful too.
0: My number one musical moment, Chrisanne already had in her list as well, Three Little Birds, and she covered it well. I guess what I'll add to that is, even though it's supposed to be a heartwarming scene, they did throw in some very subtle laughs with Sam coughing up feathers, presumably in reference to the pillow fight. And then we had Willa Kitman pretending to play airbase because of his night out at the jazz club with Higgins. It was just awesome.
1: Hey, does mentioning Martin Garrix actually count in that episode? Is that a musical moment?
0: Technically, they didn't play any of his songs, so...
1: All right. I just thought it was cool that they brought him up.
0: So you actually listened to him after I recommended him?
1: Yes, I did!
0: All right, tell three your songs right now.
1: I don't... I can't tell you that. I can't. I got nothing. I'm pulling a Rebecca Welton on, on you, and I'm going to say the guy from Cream.
0: Since we're on the topic, it's not officially a Martin Garrix song because he co... I don't know what the DJ term is. Co-created, co-produced. But with Avicii called Waiting for Love... On YouTube, I think it has over a billion views, so check it out.
1: Ooh, nice. Can I just give an honorable mention for a great musical moment? Because we got to hear Hannah sing again, and it was just a fun nod to Ted, and it was just beautiful to watch the Dutchman, the Flying Dutchman, and Rebecca sing. she believes in me. I thought it was just such a sweet moment.
0: Wait, I thought at the beginning you said you are trying to make up for not being Ted Beckett, Endgame, and now you throw this in here? Like, what's going on?
1: I'm digging my grave deeper. I'm sorry. But it's they were singing Ted's song, though. They were singing Kenny Rogers. Ted was there even though he wasn't there. I will tell you, though, Kevin, as I was analyzing all of my notes from over the season and looking back at the episodes, there were so many Ted-Becca moments that I noted. It was a little ridiculous. So I think I've been reminded that they did actually seem to kind of build stuff in. From clothing to mentions to Ted and Rebecca wearing different outfits that they wore in other scenes together. So I'm not off the train. I'm still there with you.
0: Now for the You're Gonna Make Me Cry award.
1: This was a really hard category for me because I feel like I would rather choose a favorite child than pick my favorite You're Gonna Make Me Cry scene. I mean, oh.
0: Note for the listeners, she only does have one child.
1: People who are parents will get it. It's just a, a a euphemism. I will reiterate, though, that laughing through my tears is my absolute favorite thing about Ted Lasso. So I am going to say that my number five candidate that made me cry was the scene in Mom's City where all of the Mancurians applaud Jamie and give him a standing ovation and then cutting to... Jamie's dad watching the game. That just made me weep. It was such a beautiful moment. Their boy from Manchester came back and did the thing.
0: In another crazy kind of coincidence, mine was a similar scene but with a different player.
1: Oh, do tell Ricky Bell.
0: So it was in 302 I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea when the Chelsea fans give Roy a standing ovation with the infamous, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where.
1: Roy can't. Roy Kent. My number four for this category was Ted in the Van Gogh Museum in episode 306, where he's talking to the docent and the docent recites the quote, one doesn't expect to get from life what one has already learned it cannot give. Rather, one begins to see that life is a kind of sowing time and the harvest is not yet here. And then goes on to talk about how Vincent was just a humble preacher's son and he had his demons, but they never stopped him for searching for beauty. Because when you find beauty, you find inspiration. And if you stay as determined as Vincent, you have to never stop, no matter how many times you fail. Because when you know you're doing what you're meant to do, you have to try. And Ted is so clearly moved by the painting because sunflowers are Kansas's state flower and the conversation. And he's making this connection between where he's from and where life has taken him. And it means something to Ted on a deeper level than just mere coincidence. And I thought it was so beautiful and I just cried. And Jason Sudeikis was so brilliant in that scene, the subtlety with which he played it and all of the emotions that he showed us with just his eyes, so beautiful.
0: My number four moment was the video in the finale that they showed to the players before their match which showed all the great moments that both the characters and cast in real life had throughout this beautiful journey. It's just, I will miss them all.
1: I'm going to miss them so much. My number three moment was the image of the whole team pitching in to clean up Sam's vandalized restaurant. Got me right in the heart. It got me right in the heart. Sam has his shaken faith in humanity restored and the team banded together to repair The restaurant, man, if that's just not the most Ted Lasso scene, it was so good. I wept like a baby, like a sexy baby.
0: Coincidentally, my third moment that made me cry was also from episode 307, but it's when Sam has the locker room outburst because he's fed up by all the hate he's getting for speaking out against the bigoted home secretary. As we covered in deeper detail in that episode, it was very real incorporating the real life storyline of LeBron James being told to shut up and dribble, as well as the English lads missing their penalties and getting racist abuse from their own country in Euro 2020.
1: I really think the actor who plays Sam's dad, Ola, Nunzianozo, I feel like if he were to hug you, the whole world would be okay. Everything would just feel okay again. If you got a hug from him, he's such an amazing actor and such a great, great. I mean, Sam's dad, the character of Sam's dad, too. Just very reassuring.
0: I was going to say the angry tears I had feeling for Sam and the real life inspirations by the end of the scene turned into slightly happier ones once his dad was there to comfort him.
1: So my number two was the Hey Jude musical scene with the busker outside of the pub. And the reason being is that that song has such a dear place in my heart. It means so much to me on a personal level. You have the ability to make, you know, you can take a a sad song and make it better. But seeing people sing Hey Jude together just brought me such happy tears. It was so beautiful. It was such a beautiful moment that I got. I got a little weepy and I loved it. I loved it so much, especially the previous scene with Beard explaining to Henry about what the song the original story beside behind the song i thought that was just beautiful
0: so the number two moment that made me cry the most was when beard forgave nate because anecdotally on my instagram i've seen quite a few people who said that they hated nate had no intention of forgiving him until they saw beard do it i would say that beard did more for nate's redemption than almost nate himself to be honest
1: i think you're right there that was such a moving scene
0: Throughout the series, we've seen how dedicated Beard is to Ted, and we never knew the reason why until now. And that was like the perfect Ted story of being able to forgive and offer second chances. It was just beautiful.
1: I'm really glad you brought that one up because that got left off my list because the other ones were so profound for me. And I could, you know, if I had it all my way and I could just talk about all of my favorite parts of the entire season, we would be here for a couple of hours. But my number one was the team pulling out their little bits of the shredded believe sign and putting them back together and how important the believe sign was to all of the players that they kept it in such important places. And then them all coming together to, to recreate the sign. Just, I was such a waterfall (laughs) during that scene. It was so lovely. And then of course I laughed when they were all looking at it and trying to figure out how to put it back together.
0: Like you said, you love your laughing while crying, or is it crying while laughing?
1: Yes, laughing through tears. So great, so good, and something only Ted Lasso has ever given me. I'm dying to hear your number one, Kev.
0: Well, you shouldn't because you already picked it yourself.
1: Is it also the belief sign?
0: No, it was the scene at the end of 307, the strings that bind us when they go to repair Sam's restaurant. I wasn't even finished with crying about that. And then they add in the second gut punch with Ola finding out that the restaurant was named after him. To quote the characters from the show, these fucking arseholes, slow it down. Such
1: an asshole for making us cry.
0: Slight intermission for some housekeeping notes because I wanted the episode to end a certain way and didn't want this to be at the end. Chrisanne obviously loves working with a perfectionist like me. (laughs) I actually do. But yes, the first item, would also like to give a shout out to Sarah who has helped me quite a bit both on my Ted Lasso stuff and in personal life as well. Really great with words, which is sing something because I am also a writer. And if KBPR ever needed a publicist, I think she would be great for them. Second item, we've had a lot of ratings and reviews lately, so really appreciate all of those. There's one I want to highlight since I think it really grasps what we're going for here, and it's by Rock Girl. She says, my favorite Ted Lasso podcast, five stars. I'm so sad the series is over and I'm glad I discovered the podcast through Instagram. Kevin and Chrisanne have different personalities and outlooks, which I think is what makes them such a great team. Even when they have opposing opinions, you can tell they respect each other and they really make it funny and interesting. Thanks so much, Rocco, for that amazing review.
1: Does that mean I'm not getting fired, Kevin?
0: I didn't see anywhere where I said that.
1: You guys, start a petition.
0: Well, it seems like Chrisanne will have plenty of opportunities if she leaves because she was recently on the Kelly Clarkson show to tell a bit about her story and as well, how Ted Lasso has helped her through her journey battling cancer.
1: I think the most fun part of that is all of the people that I don't know who just suddenly started messaging me and sending me DMs and emails. Really, really fun.
0: You really got to love the community that this show has created.
1: Yeah, Ted Lasso folks are really the nicest people.
0: And now for the Funnier Than Stepbrothers Award. Since the Ted Lasso is a hilarious show, we have 10 each for this one. So buckle up.
1: So my number 10 is when the Diamond Dogs are all talking about their favorite Julie Andrews movies. And we've got the, fuck yeah, the Princess Diaries. It was just, it was so brilliant. I want to watch that scene again.
0: My number 10 funniest moment is when Roy is talking to Keeley in the Mom City episode. And then out of nowhere, Barbara just interrupts eating an apple, which to me was a callback to Roy pissing off Keeley eating apple in the funeral episode.
1: Well, you finally stole one of my candidates. I had Barbara eating an apple. And really, I think they did some brilliant work with the food and drink psych eggs.
0: With a kazillion kebabs
1: right? All of the kebabs, I mean, they effectively made eating a kebab a total sight gag. I mean, it was brilliant. Actually, Barbara was my number nine, and then the kebabs were my number eight, so you've got to catch up, my buddy. you got to catch up.
0: Well, I'll just add another note to mine. The way Katie Wicks played it was hilarious, and then, of course, even before the Apple, the whole thing with the pipes, like, I don't know, why are you talking about the pipes?
1: Katie Wicks was so funny she's really great
0: so since i have to catch up both nine and eight are from roy number nine is when ted is explaining how he got his famous mustache look and then roy jumps in not once but twice with puns but he's fucking furious at himself for doing so
1: ted totally ruined ruined roy A.K.
0: made him the best ever so the other roy moment was Near the beginning of season, when, when Rory and Trent have neighboring offices, and in order to get Trent out of there, Roy starts popping balloons one by one slowly.
1: My number seven was when Beard responds to where you would get engaged in We'll Never Have Paris, and he says, The Hall of Mirror is at the Linderhof Palace in Germany, because if she agreed, I'd be surrounded by a thousand yeses. Because, of of course, Beard has some obscure and very romantic answer because he's Beard. But I thought that was just really funny and obscure.
0: My number seven funniest moment is when the believe sign falls down, splits in half. And because Isaac was the one who tapped it to make it fall, he then proceeds to chop Jamie. We were all as flabbergasted as Jamie because, like you said, what if you had been able to chop him in half?
1: I love how Isaac's mind works. My number six was Higgins' take on Willy Wonka. I hate to break it to you, Rebecca, but those children are dead.
0: My number six moment is when they're at Ola's in the beginning of the season, and Jamie asks Roy to train him, and as soon as he's about to take a bite into his food, Roy just fucking smacks the fork out of his hand. The food splats against the wall, starts like falling slowly. And then the waiter's just looking at him like, what the fuck are you guys doing?
1: My number five moment was Isaac in episode 306, Sunflowers, when he stands up on the table and he has this very Shakespearean speech. We are ribboned by these crossroads. Is this it? How else do we proceed? How doth we channel this lack of compromise, this dissension, this rage? And he takes control before we are given such a beautiful moment the pillow fight that we were promised back in season one during make Rebecca great again and then we proceed to see the most epic and hilarious pillow fights
0: my number five moment was when I guess multiple moments was when Will was imitating Beard since they had the whole switching positions things for total football like the way he imitated Beard's let's go was pretty much perfect and of course sitting in the chair with the book was great as well I
1: thought that was great, too. You you stole one of mine, but...
0: It's about time.
1: Will's beard impression was so spot on, and then Beard saying, get the fuck out of my chair. Oh, so since you stole my number four, I'm also going to add in the whole switcheroo thing. I kind of had several beats listed of that particular scene in my Funnier Than Step Brothers list, and... Watching Isaac and Danny imitating each other was so, so funny. When Danny, as Isaac goes, we're going to fuck him up, bruv. And then Isaac, as Danny says, ay dios mio, was so, so tremendously funny. And I think that the Will and Beard bit just ramped that up. So I would probably have swapped those, but I'm just going to roll with it. I thought that whole arc was just a very, very funny bit.
0: Continuing the beard, my number four hilarious moment was when any and every time he screamed early in the season, like he screamed a couple times when they were thinking that they were going to get Zava. And then, of course, when they found out that Roy and Keeley broke up, that was the best because he wasn't even in the room and just like sliding back while screaming at the same time.
1: My number three moment is the scene in the hallway in episode 309 where Rebecca asks Roy to step in for Ted and do the press conference. And he sits there and he slowly backpedals while they're just staring at him. Then when Keely and Rebecca walk away, he says, fuck. And Rebecca says, I heard that. I thought that was so beautiful. Just Rebecca being able to make Mr. Roy Kent backpedal. I thought that was beautiful.
0: And the way he says, I'd love to is amazing my number three hilarious moment also involves roy it's in 302 when he's in the boot room with jamie and jamie tries to comfort him for no longer being with keely and the there's just so many great things like when roy rejects his hug and then jamie's like why well, he's like you came at me too fast and then of course the whole fucking face thing that i mentioned earlier but maybe the best part was i think it might have been jamie's most sophisticated burn yet when he says i forget how skittish elderly people can be because of the war Which is a lot deeper than just calling him granddad.
1: My number two is the scene where Jamie and Roy have their love triangle fisticuffs and they end up at Keeley's house and they're telling her all the dumb reasons about why she gets to choose who she ends up with. And then they get kicked out promptly and Jamie says, are you hungry? And then... Roy says he's not allowed to eat anything. And he says, well, I'm going to have the chicken. I just thought the Roy and, and Jamie shenanigans. That was one of my favorite scenes.
0: Speaking of Roy and Jamie shenanigans, my number two is when they're in Amsterdam and Jamie's teaching Roy how to ride a bike.
1: That was so beautiful. So, so, so beautiful. That was actually my number one, Roy and Jamie, just because of the sheer hilarity of watching Brett Goldstein just allowing himself to fall over not trying to grab anything just on that bike and falling straight over. And then just all of the hilarity with how Jamie is teaching him how to ride the bike and the whole Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid thing. It was so brilliant. So wonderful. Just so great. I don't think I have seen a funnier Roy and Jamie scene than that one.
0: Well, in my opinion, there's actually one funnier, but to me, I kind of feel like it's almost multiple scenes in one, even though it's technically one scene. And it's in episode 310, when Phoebe has Uncle Dave for Uncle Roy.
1: Yeah, that was definitely, that's a multi-layered scene right there, for sure.
0: Like when Jamie first comes in and Roy's like, what the fuck's going on? And then when Phoebe explains it's because she had to invite his best friend, and then the whole hilarity with that, with the look on Jamie's face, where he's like, He's so happy he's like and surprised, but then Roy can't admit it. So then Jamie says that Isaac's actually his best friend. Do you believe that? I'm not sure I believe that.
1: Maybe it used to be, but it's definitely Roy. Roy has taken over as the best friend. They're best friends.
0: And the way he says fuck off immediately to that would pretty much explain everything that there is to do about that. And of course, afterwards with the whole e to u jersey exchange and even at the end when Phoebe and her mom are walking away and then Jamie has the oh your sister is fit and is like I'll cut your eyes out
1: you only roast the ones you love like that they're besties
0: and now for the award that's all about fashion
1: she's fucking fat my number three award is going to Trent Crim's t-shirt game we saw Trent sporting some really epic t-shirts throughout the entire season and I just want to call that out
0: Dolly Parton's number one fan
1: the next award that I am going to give is kind of a general award and it's to all the pink that we saw over the season. Zero's pink goalie outfit, Isaac and Jamie in their pink sweats, Keeley's pink shoes, all the pink. I was a huge fan of all the ways in which biscuit box pink showed up in all of the episodes.
0: I'm actually a little salty about all the pink now because myself and other Ted Becka stands included definitely thought that they were Trying to imply something with all the pinkness going on, of course, being biscuit box pink, but of course, we all know how that ended up or didn't end up.
1: It's not a done deal yet, Kevin. Have hope. My number one award goes to, and you've probably already guessed it, Miss Rebecca Welton and her accessories game. I mean, the hats, the coats, the bags. Oh my god, the bags, the rings, her rings, especially her lasso ring and her shoes. Oh my word. She is the most amazingly accessorized woman on the planet. And just major, major shout out to Jackie Levy. She's amazing. And Rebecca's wardrobe is also amazing. And I didn't talk too much about Rebecca's accessories over the course of the season. And I felt like it needed to be shouted out from the rooftops. So that's my number one award.
0: And now for our next award, since I'm a writer and I love Ted Lasso, it's Kevin's kick-ass lines of the season. Coming in at number three, it's Ted with I'm a work in progress," mess, which a lot of people have found relatable. And it's easy to see why, because progress is not always linear. Sometimes there's ups, but sometimes there's also downs. You just gotta keep going. Number two line also from Ted when he said, I hope either all of us or neither of us are judged by our weakest moments. And... Considering so much of this show revolves around people being able to forgive and apologize, I thought pretty fitting. And the number one line from Higgins, as I've termed him to be the wisest of the tall Yodas, when he said, Human beings are never going to be perfect, Roy. The best we can do is to keep asking for help and accepting it when you can. And if you keep doing that, you'll always be moving towards better. And another theme of the show is just how much growth there has been from basically everybody, like monumentally in the case of Jamie and Sam and Rebecca, but even the minor characters have evolved as well. So great words to live by.
1: Can I have just a little honorable line mention that I loved?
0: So not only does Chrisanne steal my awards, she tries to bump into my award. <laughs> Look at what I have to deal with people. Like, how is she still here? Honestly, I don't know sometimes.
1: It's when Beard was talking about total football and he says, it's jazz, it's Motown, it's Mamet, it's Pinter, it's Einstein, it's Curie, it's Gaga. I just thought that was so fun. I'm not really stealing your award. I'm just trying to add some color.
0: So for our loyal listeners, you know that this is typically the end of our awards. But like I said, with this being our season end awards, I had to add some new ones. So for Nate's decor play, Ted famously says, I want you winning an Oscar at the ESPYs next year to Jamie in terms of selling being the decoy. So to paraphrase that, I want you to win an Oscar and at least an Emmy, which is our awards for the best acting of season three.
1: So my number three award goes to Mr. Jeremy Swift both for his physical comedy prowess and for always doing the perfect balancing act between being hilariously awkward and so profoundly wise and sensitive. Like, I love it when Jeremy just hits you with those, like, sly laughs because he's just so good at being so painfully awkward. And then he just flips and becomes this really beautiful, sensitive, wise giver of wisdom on the show. And I will always love Jeremy for his portrayal of Higgins. I think he just is an unsung hero on the show,
0: for sure. He wasn't on my radar, but with all the points you brought up, I would say that he's at least deserving of a nomination. My number three goes to Nick Mohammed. He'd probably be higher if Nate's arc was more fully fleshed out, i.e. not so many off-camera scenes. But just based on the finale alone, like I mentioned, I was Pretty upset that we didn't get that 60-page apology letter that they mentioned in the episode before. But the second he started crying, I started crying. So if you can do that, you're probably a pretty decent actor.
1: I'm having a really difficult time choosing. Like, my number one and number two could be easily swapped. I'm just going to say that as a disclaimer before I announce. But I'm doing this for a very specific reason. I want to give Hannah Waddingham, Miss Rebecca Welton her flowers because she's so subtle and so complex and she goes from high comedy to sight gags to sensitivity to being very sexy she's like lightning in a bottle and she contains multitudes but her heartbreakingly subtle performance in episode 305 and signs I think is some of the very best acting she's ever done on the entire show And she is so powerful. She's not even saying anything. It's just that you see her face go from hope to disappointment. And sometimes she conveys hope and disappointment at once. I think that the call from her doctor was so devastating. And I just, I've loved her work all season long. There's obviously a reason why she has, you know, had two Emmy nominations and one Emmy win because she's just utterly magnificent and gifted and she is my number two what do you think about that
0: i think you just described all the reasons why she's number one but some other ones i'll add is she's also hilarious like when she was shaking down ted and west ham with the bug eyes tell him to have fun have fun and then of course all the time she reamed out roy like the range is incomparable and that's ultimately the reason why i gave my number one over phil to hannah because Like in total football, the number two foundation is versatility and the versatility can't be matched. So I'm sorry, Phil, you definitely deserve an Emmy nomination finally, but I got to go with Hannah. You can make a case for Phil now.
1: Well, my case for Phil, let's not forget everybody that Hannah was the shame nun in Game of Thrones. So versatility is the name of the game for Hannah Waddingham
0: not to mention the million of musical roles that she's had.
1: And watching her host the Olivier's and on Eurovision, she's just magic. Magic pours from every ounce of her body. So really, she should have been my one. But the reason that I nominated Phil as my number one is because we need to bring him forward. I feel like he deserves accolades that he hasn't gotten thus far. And I do feel like he has some of that same magic that Hannah has in that he can contain multitudes. I mean, the subtlety through which he shows his confusion and his compassion, like I was saying before when I was waxing poetic about the wonder that is Phil Dunster, he does so much with every single moment. I mean, I really do feel like he's so magnetic to watch and he has such joy that pours out of him as Jamie and all of the wonderful ways that joy can be expressed and his vulnerability the sheer and utter just raw nerve that he can be just being exposed and then you know he turns around and he can be this just magnificent football player i just i really have loved his arc he is so magical and so gifted so that's why it was really hard for me to pick between Hannah and Phil but Mwah, Phil Dunster, you can do no wrong in my book.
0: She didn't verbally say it, but she actually physically chefed the Kiss. So if you're doing the drinking game, drink up. So to just add to everything you said about Phil, the biggest praise I can give to Phil Dunster is that I absolutely hated Jamie Tart in season one. And season two, still not quite really feeling him. But with season three, like I said, besides that little slip up in the finale, rubbing in the video to roy almost a perfect arc from beginning to end so but like you were saying and like i said as well somehow he hasn't been nominated yet so they definitely need to fix that
1: can you hear us academy
0: now for another new award you may recall in episode one goodbye earl when roy and keely are on a double date with rebecca welton and john wings night to get through the evening easier Roy asked the waiter, can I get another one, please? And then, when he still doesn't get a new drink, he says, I'm going to need two more of these, please. Which is a long way of asking you, Chrisanne, what is the one episode from season three you'll be watching again and again and again, aka your favorite?
1: It was a tough pick, but for me, that episode is Sunflowers because of everything that it had in it. And like Beard After Hours, it was a little bit of uh, off the beaten track for our Ted Lasso. I thought it was a great episode.
0: My favorite episode of season three was episode 10, International Break. And that's for a number of reasons. So we went through our funnier than stepbrothers moments. And of course, mine was the whole Uncle day moment at the beginning. And then for our musical moments, I mentioned that I enjoyed the epic speech Rebecca gave at the end. If you've been listening along all season, it's no surprise to you that I've had some issues with this season three, but for me at least, that was the one that I had the least qualms about, so that's my pick.
1: I'm definitely still with you, Kevin, though. I mean, I I think that season three was wonky in places, and we talked about that a lot through the seasons, but I feel like those are two really good, solid episodes. I love that one, too.
0: And lastly, our final award, also a new one, fittingly entitled The Lasso Way. Both Chris Ann and I have used a similar term of that was the most Ted Lasso thing ever, or, or it was a Ted Lasso episode. I feel like a Ted Lasso episode. So this award celebrates the three moments for each of us that felt like it captured the essence of the show the best.
1: For me, my number three is a little bit meta. It it was when Keely said the line, "These are the poets and geniuses." Who run KJPR. And I talked about it once as a corner kick. And it was a little nod to the Kansas-born godfather of improvisation and mentor to many comedy greats, Del Close. And he said, if we treat each other as if we are geniuses, poets, and artists, we have a better chance of becoming that on stage. And he also said, treat your audience like poets and geniuses, and that's what they'll become. And I feel like Ted Lasso treated us all like poets and geniuses. So thanks for that, Ted Lasso.
0: My number three most Ted Lasso moment was at the end of Sunflowers when they're singing Three Little Birds on the Bus. As I mentioned before, great little comedic moments, but then also getting hands to sing, which is always a win. And then some people have speculated that when Ted smiles, that is actually a a quote-unquote Jason smile. And it's one scene where we had I think almost literally all the people from AFC Richmond together and being happy. So, what else could you ask for?
1: So, the show is so much about redemption, and we have some really great moments of redemption. I mean, for sure, Nate, but for Jamie, I feel like his arc is basically the one thing that season three consistently got right and nailed it.
0: Yes, sir, Steve Kerr.
1: He has. The most satisfying arc in the show's entire history, right? And we see it pay off in this beautiful way when he comes home to Manchester to play against his former team. I mean, he, his journey is initially set up as one of the series' worst people that we all hate, as you were talking about, Kevin. And his growth, this self-actualization is so beautiful. I mean, his literal journey to his childhood home and realizing that he can just let go of his anger towards his father and that his forgiveness is a gift to himself and not the guy who treated him so horribly his dad you know it's it's all about the power of forgiving and it's such a great reminder of the fact that Jamie's story is really so ted lasso it's ted lasso at its best and it's so satisfying to me that it almost makes all of the other failings that happened that I that you and I talked about and feel about the season kind of worth it, watching Jamie become this man that he's grown into.
0: So to just add to what you said about it being the best arc of Ted Lasso, I've seen some other fans on Twitter say that it's one of the best character arcs they've seen, period.
1: I don't disagree with that. I think in the annals of television history, Mr. Jamie Tart and his journey is among my favorite of all of the heroes' journeys on all of the shows. I love it. But really, I feel like also if I had to name my favorite journey, it would be Ted. That's not what this is about. What's your number two, Kevin? I'm dying to hear it.
0: My number two most Ted Lasso moment of season three also shows the Ted Lasso effect. Roy had a decades-long grudge against Trent and of course he's a very angry person but he forgave Trent in large part because Ted asked him to and that's because everything Ted built throughout these three seasons as Trent himself said the lasso way and it was just a really raw moment and of course you know I love my callbacks and references and how they brought back the moment from 103 when he said Trent, you're a you always have been but then they had that brilliant balance that i've only really seen from ted lasso where it can have so many different emotions and of course when the trademark emotions of ted lasso the show is being able to make people laugh they still had elements of humor within that scene when he brought trent in and he just yells crim at the highest decibels ever and then at the end when he's like we had a lot in common back then and trent's kind of like we did. And Roy's like, we both thought one other sucks shit at their job.
1: That was such a beautiful scene. Gosh, that Brett Goldstein. He's a pretty good
0: actor, I'd say. So since you love Jamie's arc so much, Chris Chrisanne, but only had him as your number two most title last of the moment, I'm really, really curious to what your number one is.
1: It would be Ted's speech. After their really brutal loss to Man City, Ted's talking to the team about the things that bring us down. Crap like envy or fear or shame, he says. I don't want to mess around with any of that shit anymore. It's something that we've already seen, right? Ted has been suffering from all of those feelings, but he's got hope because he's definitely committed to believing that things can get better and that I can get better. And that's, you know, Ted's trajectory for the season, becoming a better man, becoming a better father. But he's not being less generous. He's definitely putting away his perpetually optimistic attitude that he has all the time. But his speech kind of tackled the main question, right? Do they really belong in the league? Are they good enough? Are they, can they go the distance? Right? Right. I think that's why Ted motivates not by the wins and losses, but how they move through the world together. And he says to believe in yourself and to believe in one another, man, that's fundamental to being alive. If you can do that, ain't nobody can rip that apart. And in that speech, he just, he calls out my favorite truth, right? That we all matter. We all matter no matter what it is that we achieve out in the world. And I think for all of us who have taken something away from Ted Lasso to take with us on our own journeys to be better people, I think that's one of the most fundamental things that Ted Lasso is about is to make sure that we all know that we are worthy of all the good stuff, no matter what it is that we've done, no matter how we see ourselves, we are we are worthy. And that's always gonna be something that I'm grateful that the show reminded me of.
0: My number one most Ted lasso moment of season three was at the end of the strings that bind us episode when they're at Sam's restaurant repairing it after it's been vandalized. Like Ted has said, it's not just about the wins and losses, it's about helping these men being the best versions of themselves on and off the pitch. And that was a perfect example. Because when Sam first walks in, Jamie explains the team thought, what does the situation need right now? And we thought it needed us, which was a callback to the total football strategy early in the episode. And speaking of callbacks, they show Richard with his wine. And in the season opener, he talked about how the best wine doesn't have to be the most expensive. And of course, with Ted Lasso, they had to inject some humor as well. So we had Danny saying, oh no, the surprise is ruined. And it just, it made me think of Higgins' line in the Christmas episode when he said, To the family we're born with and the family we make along the way. And you could just see, like, how much of a family they become. And maybe you can't tell, I'm actually crying just thinking about it. It's just such a beautiful moment. And on a personal note, if you listen to a finale episode, you know I didn't exactly love it. So this actually also serves a secondary purpose of trying to talk myself into a spinoff because... I think that if it did happen, they'd probably spend a lot of time hanging out together and probably at Ola's as well.
1: Ooh, now you're making me cry. I think if there's one thing that I want to take with me is, the, is that quote, the family you're born with and the family you make along the way, because so much of this show and the goodness have reinforced that in my life. I love that. That was your number one, Kevin. It's beautiful.
0: When I was picking my favorite episode of the season, it was like neck and neck between the one I actually picked, International Break, and the episode which had this scene, The Strings That Bind us. So
1: Well, shockingly, everybody, our resident wordsmith, Mr. Kevin Duong, has run out of things to say. So I think this is where we bid you adieu.
0: So thanks again to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed this fun bonus episode. And although a rewatch for us is still to be determined, there will be more podcast episodes coming from us. So make sure you're following Ted Lasso's Life on your podcast app, as well as Twitter and Instagram to make sure that you hear about it first. And one final call to our listeners. If you haven't done so yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could please just take a quick minute to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As Chrisanne said, we put a lot of time and hard work into this, and we don't make any money off of it. In fact, we're losing money on this. Plus, with an indefinite hiatus, other Ted Lasso fans will probably be looking for other content to consume so your ratings and reviews would help them find us. And it's the best way to convince us to do more podcast episodes. Until next time, Greyhounds, onward, forward.